the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got questions concerning elder or state law? Attorney Mike Connors has the answer. He was recognized in 2012 as one of New York's top lawyers by New York Magazine and brings over 30 years' experience to the table. His office number is 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Here's Mike Connors. We are gathered here on hallowed ground. Horses Welcome to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. Today, accompanied by my wife, Beth. Hello, everybody. And, you know, this week we have a special guest in the studio, our old friend, Tony Filson. How are you? All right. It's an honor to be here. It's good to be here with both of you. Now, I know nobody in the audience, unless you know us, knows exactly who you are, but you can give us a little bit of your background, Tony. Well, uh... I met you through your generosity in helping my family. I'm someone who myself likes to help others. My wife and I have been uh, helping on a charitable level in Aruba for a number of years. And uh, Beth, you've been kind enough to praise uh, my photography. And in essence... It's incredible. (laughs) Uh, Anybody that has a Facebook account, get on there and look up... Phil Crow. Well, I th- or is can, it? Well, they kiss can look, my kite. Kiss my kite. Oh, is what they kiss can do. my kite for kite surfing. Yes, exactly, oh. and for fashion. But uh, I'm I'm very happy to be here, and I hope I can tell you a little bit about Kiss My Kite and what we do and how we help the kids in Aruba through media and through the uh, summer sports programs and sending kids to summer camp and uh, how it's really turned into a labor of love in being able to help children there with a, a number of different programs that uh, are aligned with uh, the Aruba Sports Uni, uh, which is a government program and is also privately funded. And uh, it allows children, uh, young children, uh, to participate in sports programs uh, such as track and field and boxing and a number of other things. Um, but really, it's, it's, it's a way in order to uh, uh, fill a little bit of a void that's there for children that really are, are deserving and having some sports programs. How did you get involved with it? Because it just sounds wonderful. Well, for 30 years, Helene, my wife Helene and I have been going to Aruba. And uh, we really enjoy the island a great deal. And we love the people there. And we saw that there was a little bit uh, of a hole it was a okay. little bit of a void uh, as far as some programs were concerned. And uh, we learned about someone who was trying to help on their own, which was the Aruba Sports Uni. And through the photography that I like so much that you can see on the website, kissmykite.com, uh, you can see that I started out from a sports perspective in, uh, in covering kite surfing and all the events around Aruba High Winds. And... Uh, 
Some people in New York found out about what we're doing, specifically uh, at New York Fashion Week and at Style Fashion Week. And a number of the designers uh, and the models wanted to participate and contribute also. So uh, some people like Olga Popkovich and uh, uh, Pop and Preska magazine, uh, they were very influential in making sure that we were getting publicity for the children and for the Aruba Sports Uni. And they started running uh, full-page spreads in, in the magazine about what we were doing. And then some of the uh, sports manufacturers who would make kite surfing uh, equipment started to participate also. Uh, excuse me, Tony. What is kite surfing? Some of the people out there may not know that because <laughs> right. I didn't know that. Right. Well, let's take a surfboard and add a giant kite to it. That's essentially <laughs> what it is. Um, you're being pulled through the water uh, by a very large kite. And uh, what I enjoy most is freestyle. There's also long-distance racing. Oh, my goodness. But it's acrobatics on the water, and there are some very gifted athletes that we've had a chance to cover over the years. And uh, I, I think if someone goes to Kiss My Kite, they'll be able to look at the kite surfing section and get a, a really good understanding of what it is and the, the amount of uh, prowess that's required uh, on and off the water in order to be an accomplished kite surfer. It's, it's, uh, it requires quite a bit of, uh, of training and uh, you have to deal with acrobatics in the air as, as well as surfing on the water. So it's a combination of, uh, of two different things. Where can somebody see some pictures of kite surfing? Uh, well, they can go to kissmykite.com. I think that's a good place to start. Uh, the other thing that they can do is uh, every year there is a competition in Aruba called Aruba High Winds. Uh, they can also go to the Aruba High Winds site, and uh, uh, they can see some of our photographs that are there for coverage also. But I think Kiss My Kite will really give them a very good indication of what the sport is and uh, who some of the up-and-coming stars are, as, as well as some of the, the more prominent kite surfers on the circuit, the number one, number two, and number three kite surfers, uh, male and female in the world. Now, here's my how, – how many people live on Aruba? I, I don't even know how big it is. Well, it's a small island. It's, uh, it's very close to Venezuela, if we're going to put it geographically there okay. for someone. Okay. It's part of the ABC Islands. Okay. Uh, so if you've not been to Bonaire or Curaçao, uh, that's where they get ABC from, Aruba, gotcha. Bonaire, and, and Curaçao. And uh, it's really a beautiful place. Mm -hmm. And the, the people are what make the islands. Very nice. Yeah. Again, what kind of programs are you working on for charity for these kids? Well, you know, it, it comes down to a number of sports that uh, are taught. Uh, practically everything that's in the Olympics, um, everything from javelin to discus to track and field, it gives them a chance to participate in Very things nice. that they, they normally wouldn't have a, an opportunity to. Uh, meals are served uh, nice. during during the, the, the summer camp programs. And... Uh, we we also had raised money for the coaches there in order to make sure that they had appropriate coaches so that the kids were trained appropriately. Okay. Um, I think our contributions are modest, um, but I'd like to think that they've uh, they've helped a great deal. Oh, I I know they have. I mean, it's well. One of the things uh, Mike's a member of Legatus, and um, one one of the most important things I know to my husband is if you are fortunate and you have been successful in your business. Um, you should live your faith. And I think that's very important, and I, I hope that we're, we're doing everything appropriately in that uh, uh, I also have deep faith, 
and uh, I hope that the things that we're doing are being rece- received in, in the proper way and that people realize that uh, you really get so much back in life by giving. Well, that's why I'm so glad you're on the show, because we know you. We know you and your wife. We know what good people you are. Thank you, Beth. I appreciate that. Yeah. And uh, you, you and Mike have just been amazing. And uh, I so admire everything that you do on a charitable level. Um, you're very giving people, and it's really beautiful. Now, where can people find more about Kiss My Kite and the charities or whatever? The, the Aruba Sports Uni is uh, also on the Internet, and you can look at them uh, on their Facebook page. Um, on Instagram, we're also there as Kiss My Kite, and you'll be able to see the work that we've done at New York Fashion Week and at Style Fashion Week, as well as for the individual designers who have contributed with their time. Well, you know, Fashion Week, um, I was amazed when we go to the fundraiser for cancer with um, Patrick Wayne and the John Wayne Cancer Institute, how much money is given by the 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 shoe fashion people. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's tens of millions of dollars that they pull together for um, cancer research. Yeah, the designers have been very generous. I mean, uh, some people who have uh, allowed us to share media and allowed us to, uh, to shoot. Uh, it's just been amazing. Um, Honey persona, who was a great designer has uh, allowed us to use the media to help raise funds. Uh, Olga Popkovich, who I just can't say enough about. She's just uh, been absolutely amazing. She's an extremely generous woman. Uh, Milan Breton has allowed us to use um, his photographs also. Uh, it's really, it's it's been an effort that uh, uh, has not gone unnoticed, not only by the designers and the hair and makeup artists and the models, uh, but also the sports industry. We had... Uh, ESPN uh, contribute uh, swag, so to speak, um, <laughs> to the kids and uh, make sure that we were bringing stuff to Aruba that Very they nice. could utilize also. Um, I, I can't believe how generous some people are with their time. And, you know, during the day, we're all busy in what we do for a living. And uh, it's important that we put time aside to help others. Okay, I think we need to take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes. You're listening to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors, accompanied by my wife, Beth. And our friend, Tony. Thank you both. It's been an honor to be here. For our Ask the Lawyer friends and listeners, you can attend any of Connors and Sullivan's free seminars on elder law, Medicaid, wills, and estate planning, and more. Yes, it's all free and all close to you. So come to Connors and Sullivan's free seminars. On Wednesday, May 29th at Lenny's Clam Bar, 161-03 Cross Bay Boulevard in Howard Beach, Queens at 11 a.m. and 3 p.m. at Connolly's Corner, 71-17 Grand Avenue in Masspeth, Queens on Thursday, May 30th at 11 a.m., 3 p.m., and 7 p.m., and at the Adria, 221-17 Northern Boulevard in Bayside, Queens, on Friday, May 31st at 11 a.m. and 3 p.m. Can't go to any Connors & Sullivan's free seminars? Then call Connors & Sullivan at 718-238-6500 for your own free office appointment. Make an educated decision on your estate and family legal solutions today. Just call Connors & Sullivan at 718-238-6500 or go to Connors. 
Do you have somewhere to sleep? Did you eat today? Are you making ends meet? For thousands of New Yorkers, the answer is no. For children and youth, adults, seniors, people struggling with addiction or mental illness, and for the isolated, Catholic Charities of Brooklyn and Queens is there. With 160 programs and more than 4,500 units of affordable housing, Catholic Charities is one of the largest multi-service charitable organizations in the nation. We help change lives and build communities. If you or someone you know needs assistance, call 718-722-6001 or visit CCB. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors, again accompanied by my wife, Beth. I'm here too. Usually on the show, we spend a little bit more time about estate planning and elder law. And the idea behind estate planning is to pass assets from one generation to the next, paying the least amount in taxes we need to pay legally, avoiding going through court, avoiding probate. And as far as elder law is concerned, trying to save assets from nursing home bills. And by the way, you know, those of you, uh, again, if you don't have children or you have children who don't need anything, one way to reduce estate taxes is to leave assets to charity. And of course, you know, we've been dealing with a lot of charities over the, you know, the last few years. And again, well, Tony, you're still in, uh, what's, how can somebody find out about your charity? Uh, They can go to kissmykite.com and there's a bio there and they can learn all about what we do and how we do it. And, uh, the fact that uh, we really look out for people and make sure that every penny goes to the kids. That's good. Nothing wasted. There you go. Yeah, Just like what Mike point. does for his clients. <laughs> <laughs> no, we try very hard, yes. Nothing to the government. There you go. Right. We Just don't want any kids. money going to the government. <laughs> Listen, you know, people ask me all the time. Sometimes they don't know me that well. I say, we don't, if we do this, would we pay more in taxes or would that cost my kids in tax? Listen, if you come in and speak to me about a plan, it's not in my DNA to give more money to the government. You know, we want to keep money out of the government's hands. I'm sure your family can do a better job with your assets than the government. And I have no <laughs> doubt about that. So if you come in, our job is to try to get as many of your assets as possible to your kids without paying taxes, without going through probate, in certain cases, avoiding assets from going to a nursing home. Now, we do have a couple of interviews tonight, and they're they're both a little bit different. We have George Papadopoulos, Deep State Target. That's the name of his book. And, you know, it's it's amazing sometimes when you hear the stories of these guys who were caught up in the, in the Mueller investigation. We had Jerome Corsi, you know, just a, f- a few weeks ago. Uh, fortunately, he was not indicted, and I guess he won't be d- indicted now that the Mueller probe is finished. But they were talking about him, thousands of emails. They asked him questions, and he forgot about a few emails, and they were going to indict him for perjury. At least that's what they told him, trying to make him flip. Fortunately, he didn't get indicted, but George Papadopoulos was not that fortunate, and he has a criminal record getting caught up in this wig. This web. And, you know, when you talk about a criminal record, yeah, he only spent 11 days in jail, but he still has a criminal record. And so, you know, this was all in his mind, the deep state trying to take down. This is what we're we're not supposed to be afraid of our government. And I'm kind of getting afraid of our government. Well, you know, it's always a problem with the FBI or any organization. Because I, I, I firmly do not believe in that lying to the FBI should be a crime. And you say, well, wait a minute, people shouldn't lie. But the problem is, you say A, somebody else says B. They can charge you with lying, and then it's whose word do you believe whether you're convicted or not. And that gives way too much power to the government. And what if you just forget? Yeah, memory lapse. Good grief. I mean, somebody somebody could ask me something. What happened yesterday? And I might misspeak. And they would never believe that you forgot what happened Exactly. I hope Mardochi would help me, you know, to say she, she didn't know what she was doing. I'll rely on you, Mardochi. Okay, we also have our old friend David Fisher on, who's a lawyer and he's written some Civil War books. And we've talked, you know, in, in the past about him, one, one of them about 
President Lincoln's last trial, where the the case was settled because the witness couldn't see because there was no moonlight that night. And if you guys remember young Mr. Lincoln from 1939, that was the crux of that movie. So first based on the real story. Right. First, David Fisher, then George Papadopoulos. Thank you for listening to Ask the Lawyer. If you're a homeowner age 62 or older and are finding it hard to pay off debt, or how about enjoying your retirement years with less stress? A government-insured reverse mortgage may be the answer or might be the perfect solution for you and your family. Hi, this is Frank Melia, a certified mortgage planner. I've been a mortgage specialist for over 20 years, and I've helped countless homeowners all over the tri-state area tap into a little or a lot of their home equity so they can use it right now. This past October, the federal government made changes to the reverse mortgage loan program. Give me a call now so our office can show you how these changes affect how much money you receive and how the annual mortgage insurance costs have decreased. My job is to help you find the best solutions for your retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this FHA program might be able to help you and your loved ones now. Call and speak with me right now. I'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family. Make the call now, 888-943-2646, or try me on the internet at www.quanticbank.com backslash fmelia. Once again, call 888-943-2646, and you could be on your way to a stress-free retirement. Frank Melia, NMLS number 62591. All loans provided by Quantic Bank, NMLS number 403503. We all know someone who's been touched by cancer. It's the second leading cause of death. And it took the life of my father, John Wayne. But even in his final days, he was thinking about helping others and publicly campaigning to raise awareness about cancer. His courage and grit inspired our family to do everything we could to fight the big C, as my dad called it. So we did something about it and founded the John Wayne Cancer Institute 35 years ago to advance life-saving research. Our discoveries are fundamentally changing the way cancer is treated around the world. Cures are within our reach, but we can't do it alone. I'm Patrick Wayne, and I'd be honored if you joined us in the fight against cancer. You can make a lasting legacy by helping to eradicate this deadly disease. Together, we can save lives. To learn more, visit jwcigiving.org. That's jwcigiving.org. Time now for Connor's Corner, where Mike takes a closer look at topics like history, politics, religion, and more. Here's Mike. Welcome to the Connor's Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. A few weeks ago, I was very pleased to hear a very prolific writer, David Fisher, and he was talking about President Abraham Lincoln. Of course, he wasn't president. His last murder trial. And welcome to Connor's Corner, David. Well, thank you for having me, Mike. I appreciate it. In summary, what was Lincoln's last murder trial? What was the issue and and what was the result? Well, a lot of people don't know that uh, Abe Lincoln actually was the defense attorney in 27 murder trials. And this was the the last of them. It took place in 1859. Uh, And and what made it interesting for myself and, and Dan Abrams was that this is the only trial in which Lincoln was involved for which a transcript exists. So this was our opportunity to actually hear Abe Lincoln in a courtroom defending a a person accused of murder. And the the other thing that uh, we found absolutely fascinating is it gave us an opportunity to talk about 
the American legal system in 1859 in places like uh, um, Springfield, uh, Illinois. And uh, one of the things that struck me was in these small towns, and Springfield still was a small town, everybody knew everybody. And Lincoln's defense team uh, uh, had often been served on the prosecuting team, on uh, the prosecutors, uh, had been defense lawyers. They all worked together. They had all worked together for years. In addition, the uh, the defendant was the, was the son of Lincoln's major financial contributor and the grandson of his most substantial rival, uh, a man who uh, was sort of the, the Billy Graham of that time, the Reverend Cartwright, who had published a book a year earlier that was a major bestseller at that time, and twice had run for Congress against Lincoln, winning once and losing once. Um, on the other side, the victim had been an intern in Lincoln's office at one point, and Lincoln knew that family too. So it was a, and, and the, the city of Springfield, which at that time was a small city, was totally divided. It was a case of self-defense, and the question was, um, was uh, this kind of force necessary to protect yourself? And we go into the whole history of self-defense, we go into uh, the kind of law that was practiced then that Lincoln had grown up in, how one became a lawyer at that time. Um, we, we, we make it a much, we try to make it at least a much bigger picture than just the trial. Now, what, were, what was the circumstances, uh, I'm going to say, of the death of the victim? Well, what happened was that at a, like, like the movie Picnic, at a small town picnic, words had been exchanged, uh, threats were made, um, the, uh, uh, the, the, the victim was physically much larger than the person he was uh, threatening. He threatened he was going to stomp his face. And about two weeks after the picnic, he accosted him in a store uh, and the victim and the victim's brother, who who also was was injured, grabbed hold of uh, the accused and started beating him. At which point, he pulled a knife and he stabbed the victim and he slashed the victim's brother. The victim was not killed instantly. Instead, he was brought to someone's house. Uh, where it took three days, and he probably died of infection and some form of sepsis. But during that time, he made what was considered a deathbed confession. But he made it to the Reverend Cartwright, the accused, uh, the accused grandfather. Uh, you can see how all of this is 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 so closely woven, um, and. Uh, <clears throat> So a big legal question in the trial became, are you going to allow deathbed testimony, um, particularly deathbed testimony given to someone who has a real interest in the trial, to be, uh, uh, to be allowed? And uh, initially, and this was what I loved, initially the judge said no. And when he did, 
apparently through all everything I've read and was able to find, Lincoln went crazy. And th- this was kind of the Lincoln that we had never seen before. Uh, this was Lincoln, it was said, went over the table trying to get to the judge. And um, it was clear he, he the, an anger that is never part of the image was let loose. And eventually... Uh, the judge relented and allowed the testimony, and it may have made the difference in the decision. And, of course, what was the decision? Well, the decision was he was acquitted um, unanimously by the jury, which was a very uh, unpopular verdict in, in a large part of Springfield, so much so that the owner of the store where the stabbing took place was in, indicted, literally indicted, for being an accomplice to murder. Um, because the the people who supported the victim were outraged that justice was not done. And what happened to a poor store owner? Well, he was eventually, that, that never went to trial. Uh, they let, It cooled off and everybody liked him and, and he was uh, let, let go. What do you think would have happened if Lincoln had lost that case? Would it have any effect on history? Well, it, it may have. Um, what was interesting is this was the the time when Lincoln was really considering running for the presidency. The, we tell this story, not 100%, but a, a lot of it through the eyes of the person who transcribed the case, uh, a man named Robert Roberts Height. And Robert Roberts Height is forgotten in, in history but he played an incredibly significant role. It was Haidt who was hired by the Chicago Tribune, the Chicago Press and Tribune, to transcribe the Lincoln-Douglas debates. And during those debates, he became very friendly with Lincoln. There is a story, and, and who knows how accurate the story is, that what he did was clean up Lincoln's language and make him uh, sound better on, on the page before sending it to the Tribune, where it was published and published throughout the country. Uh, well, he did not do the same for Douglas. We do know that Lincoln became Lincoln did come to rely on him so much that uh, the second debate he refused. I'm sorry, the third debate he refused to start until Height had shown up and was sitting on the platform with him. Uh, and Robert. Height, who, again, was the transcriber, a minor figure in the trial, eventually went on to become a major figure in American politics. Uh, He became the personal secretary to President Grant, eventually became our uh, number two person uh, representative in Paris, came back, uh, was a 12-term congressman, and in 1904, Teddy Roosevelt asked him to run with him for vice president, which he did not. Um, so had it, it was Heights' uh, work that, that brought Lincoln to national attention. And people were paying, people were looking at him. Who's this guy? Is he a, is he a viable candidate? Um, and this trial took place in the middle of that. Had he lost the trial... A lot of the shine might well have been off this shine, new shining object. N- no one knows. Um, but certainly winning it and the publicity that ensued from that was far greater than losing it. 
I'm going to change the subject completely. You wrote another book, Legally Correct Fairy Tales. What's that about? Well, what I what I did is I took all of the great fairy tales, Sleeping Beauty, um, Jack and Jill, all of the stories we all grew up with, and, and wrote them as legal briefs. For example, uh, the king, Sleeping Beauty's father, had filed for an injunction to prevent Prince Charming from approaching her. Uh, Jack and Jill, the J- Jack and Jill is a negligence case. They sued the bucket company uh, for creating a hazardous product and were suing for damages, and so on through all of the uh, all, all of the. Um, now, any people in fairy tales do they ever violate uh, non-discrimination laws? You, you know, Mike, it's been a long time since I wrote it, and I can't. I actually can't remember. I'm sorry. Snow White. Oh, of course. Yes. yes. <laughs> That's a yeah. You know, it's uh, <laughs> um, you know, I I've I've been fortunate to write a lot of humor, uh, and uh, with with some success, and um, one of the things we we have gotten to play with a lot is the legal system, uh, and. Uh, I, I'm everybody in my family is a lawyer. My brother, my sister-in-law, my nephew, um, and I've always had this incredible love for the law. And I was uh, uh, privileged enough to work with Johnny Carson, uh, Johnny Carson, with Johnny Cochran on his autobiography. Um, and so, the concept of the law, which to me has I guess more than people who work in the system and see the law the way it is practiced every day, I actually hold have a, 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 a an incredible appreciation for it. Um, there's the there's that beautiful uh, monologue uh, from A Man for All Seasons, in which uh, the character Sir Thomas More is talking about the law. And he um, he's he's told at one point uh, to that to arrest someone who is threatening to betray him, and and he refuses to do it. And the person who told him to do this says that he would do anything to stop this person because he knows what the outcome will be. And and Sir Thomas More says to his son-in-law, who made the accusation, he says, "And you, you son Roper." You, who would cut down every tree in the forest in pursuit of the devil, where would you hide when he turned round on you? Yea, I give the devil benefit of law, but for mine own sake. And I and I think when we're talking about the law today, um, I think it's imp- and, and and we all know. I've I've seen it in other things that I've written. I've seen how the law is manipulated. I've seen legal tragedies in things that that I've written, where I, I've seen, and I know stories of judges literally accepting bribes. Um, so I've seen the law in in all of its colors and still hold it very high. So this book, this legally correct fairy tales was a real chance to to poke fun at it. 
Um, and it it continues to, even though it was published quite a while ago, it continues to sell regularly. Uh, some law firms have used it as, as Christmas gifts to clients because it's very difficult to look at it without, to read it without laughing, particularly for people involved in the legal system. The name of the book, Legally Correct Fairy Tales, the author, David Fisher. What's your next book or what's your next project? Well, um, we actually have an, another one coming out this May, Dan Abrams and I. There was, uh, in 1915, Theodore Roosevelt, uh, who had finished uh, his presidency in, in 1912, uh, uh, I'm, sorry, uh, Theodore Ro- I'm sorry, 1908, uh, Theodore Roosevelt was sued for libel for calling a politician corrupt. And it was a, a, a national trial which took place in Syracuse. It was covered by 50 newspapers, which at that point was the most newspapers that had ever covered a trial. Uh, and um, uh, it lasted six weeks, and Roosevelt testified, was on the stand being Teddy Roosevelt for eight days, talking about democracy and the law and libel and uh, politics. Uh, and it's a, it's a portrait of Teddy Roosevelt that, uh, like him or don't like him, you're, you'll be... I mean, it's amazing. His again, his words, and um, it was a, a, a. What was interesting about that trial, like the Lincoln trial, is Teddy Roosevelt was thinking about running for president again. Uh, certainly considering it, he had already been offered the government, the governor's job of New York State, by the Republican Party. Um, and the person who was suing him was the political leader of the Republicans in the state. Uh, this was, uh, uh, even though he held no elective office, this was the fixer. This was the guy who made things happen for Republicans in New York State. And he was thinking about running for the Senate. So this trial, somebody's... Somebody's future was going to be dashed in this trial. And the lawyers at that time uh, on either side were absolutely brilliant. And, well, the Lincoln trial was very folksy um, and friendly. This one was not. This one was fought on the law, and uh, the, the attorneys... Uh, particularly the attorney for the plaintiff, a man named uh, William Ivins, is so brilliant it will take your breath away. And funny and clever and all of that. Um, Just if if you're someone who has an appreciation for the law, for the courtroom, this is a book you'll love. You'll just love it. What's the name of the book? It's called Teddy Roosevelt for the Defense. Okay, we look forward to that. David Fisher, thank you for uh, being on Ask the Lawyer and bringing some of these legal books uh, available to our audience. Well, thank you for having me, Mike. I appreciate it a lot, and uh, and thank, thank all you guys. 
You're more than welcome. Whether you need help with drafting a will or trust, power of attorney, health care proxy, living will, or protecting your assets from nursing home costs, Connors & Sullivan's goal is always the protection of your rights and interests. The professionals at Connors & Sullivan have been helping people like you plan their estates and protect their families for over 30 years. I'm Mike Connors. Come to our office for a free initial consultation. Talk with me or one of our experienced attorneys to see how we can help you protect your family, your assets, and your legacy. There is no one strategy that fits everyone, but the biggest mistake when it comes to estate planning is no planning at all. Call Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law today to schedule a free initial consultation with an attorney at any of their convenient locations in Brooklyn, Midtown Manhattan, Queens, and Staten Island. 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Or visit their website, connorsandsullivan.com. To the Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. With me right now, my guest is George Papadopoulos, and he had some interesting experiences with the Mueller team and the investigation. So, welcome to Connors Corner, George. Thanks a lot for having me. Well, let's go back in time. How'd you first get involved in the Trump campaign? Sure. Um, so I was uh, working as a uh, as an analyst in Washington D.C. Uh, for five years, um, up until the summer of 2015. When uh, the campaign, the presidential campaign season was obviously underway, uh, my background was in the energy industry and basically as a lobbyist, um, and in the Middle East in general. All my contacts were in the Middle East, not none in Russia. Um, I ended up uh, contacting Corey Lewandowski. This is something not many people know. Um, I contacted Corey Lewandowski. I think three days after Donald Trump was going down the, his escalators and uh, announced he was running for the presidency. And uh, I just thought he was going to win. You know, he had a clear message. And um, I knew that. And as as I explained it in my book, I saw Donald Trump like a stock. It's either you're going to buy very low or you're never going to get in (laughs) when when the recovery when the recovery hits, uh, you know, starts uh, rolling in. And that's how I saw him. I reached out to Corey, I think uh, when was it June or July of 2015. And uh, the campaign at the time was three people. It was Corey Lewandowski, Hope Hicks, and this guy, George Gigigos. And I said, hey, Corey, my name is George Papadopoulos. I I don't know you. Um, You don't know me, but I think I could contribute to the campaign. And uh, here's my background that I just kind of explained right now. And he emails me back right away. And he says, you have a very interesting background. Uh, We're not expanding the team right now, but uh, let's really keep in touch. And as we expand, let's uh, get you on board. So I was, you know, very enthusiastic. And uh, as the campaign season continued, I just saw Donald Trump, you know, basically dominating all the other candidates. And uh, I was eager to join. Um, I ended up joining the Ben Carson campaign uh, as a foreign policy advisor first um, around the time when Ben Carson was the only candidate that was leading the polls against Trump, I think, in October, November of uh, 2015. So he ends up dropping out, and uh, I message Corey Lewandowski one last time, and I say, look, I just finished working with the Ben Carson campaign. Uh, you know, I, I would really like to join your campaign and, uh, you know, let me know what you think. And they finally uh, email me back and say, now that we're going to be expanding the team, uh, we'd like to have you on board. And I ended up joining in uh, early March of 2016. How many people were involved in the campaign at that time, March 2016? Um, at that point, it was a, it was still a pretty small team. I know that my point man was a guy called Michael Glasner, 
um, who then referred me over to Sam Clovis and Corey Lewandowski for the interview. So the campaign couldn't have been that big at that time. There's probably around probably 15 people at the most. Um, and I think that's how the campaign wanted it to be. They wanted it to be basically a lean, mean fighting machine. You know, they didn't want too many people doing too many things that no one understood. And it was a very closed group of people and uh, some outside advisors, but the core group, uh, remained intact uh, throughout probably the entire campaign and through the transition, and that was very small. What did you have to do with Russia? That's that's the million-dollar question. Um, throughout my professional life, my work on the Ben Carson campaign and the Donald Trump campaign, I never met a single Russian official in my entire life. So you could kind of understand how bizarre it was to find myself in a uh, Russia conspiracy when I have never even been to Russia let alone worked with Russian government officials to apparently uh, collude with them. Um, <laughs> when I was hired by the Trump campaign and the Ben Carson campaign, I had one thing to offer, actually two things to offer. One was my background in the energy business, which as Republican candidates usually do, they promote uh, the energy sector in this country. And two, my ties to the Middle East, like Israel and Egypt. Okay. I wasn't selling myself as a Russia guy because I had no Russian contacts. So um, basically, as my book explains, <clears throat> my entire saga unfolds really like a, uh, an entrapment operation by the FBI and foreign governments that were colluding with the Obama administration to undermine the Trump campaign. And what do I mean by this? Uh, the man, Joseph Mitsud, um, this overseas professor who's in my status of offense, and he's been really the boogeyman of the last couple of years regarding uh, the Russians and uh, us colluding, was um, a guy who told me in London one day over lunch that, look, the Russians have Hillary Clinton's emails. I never asked for this information. He just dropped it in my lap over lunch, and he basically walked away. And, uh, you know, later on, Bob Mueller characterizes this person as a Russian agent. Well, the evidence now that we have According to this man's own lawyer and all this public evidence that's been out about him and even in my book, he was never a Russian agent. He was an FBI asset, basically sent to, uh, you know, entrap me and other people on the campaign. And it wasn't just done to me. Um, you know, Sam Clovis uh, had guys thrown at him. Uh, Carter Page, uh, members of the transition team were spied on. I mean, this was an, this was an incredible, uh, you know, operation. Of the, that the Obama administration really had pre-planned uh, to make it look like people on the campaign and Donald Trump himself were compromised by Russians, yet we had nothing to do with Russia and we weren't even uh, talking to the Russian government at all during the campaign. So this information is, I know it's very new. It's, uh, you know, I've just now been recently talking. I, I had a gag order on me for two years and my book came out and, uh, you know, a lot of people are are asking a lot of questions now about how this investigation really started. And, uh, you know, most of that information now is uh, rooted in uh, this corrupt uh, FBI leadership and uh, working with Obama to basically fabricate this entire situation we found ourselves in the last couple of years. Now, what's the name of your book? Uh, the, the book is called Deep State Target, How I Got Caught in the Crosshairs of the Plot to Bring Down President Trump. Okay. How do you first know you're a target of the Mueller investigation? What happens? Yeah, so um, I basically my entire case, just so I could leave it at the 30,000 foot view for now, was about Israel. Uh, remember, I explained earlier in this conversation, my selling point to join these, com these campaigns was my, were my ties to the Middle East and Israel. The FBI 
um, and uh, Mueller and uh, all these various uh, spies and uh, assets that were thrown my way immediately upon joining the Trump campaign um, were basically trying to figure out what I was advising the campaign on about Israel, about the energy issues in the Middle East, etc. While they were doing that, they were dropping bizarre information in my lap, like I explained, like this individual uh, told me that the Russians have Hillary Clinton's emails. It was, that's when I figured out something was not right, that I was uh, being followed. I was being uh, I was under surveillance. I later found out from various business associates and friends of mine who were uh, interviewed by the FBI that, uh, you know, there were surveillance photos of me um, by the FBI all throughout the campaign. Um, and you know what? It's incredibly strange that that would have happened to me, considering that uh, the FBI and Mueller itself and himself knew that uh, I have no- I had nothing to do with Russia at all. So what they were actually after, I later would find out uh, during my last meeting with uh, Mueller and uh, his team, were that they wanted to charge me with a FARA violation. For the listeners who don't know what, what FARA means, that's the Foreign Agent Registration Act. Uh, and they wanted to target me uh, with a violation regarding my ties, my alleged ties to the Israeli government. They did the same thing to Michael Flynn with Turkey. They did the same thing with Paul Manafort with Ukraine. This FARA statute, and you're a lawyer, so you probably know this better than I do, is one of the most uh, antiquated, uh, least prosecuted uh, crimes in the United States uh, Penal Code. I think it's only been successfully prosecuted three times since 1971. Yet Mueller and the Comey FBI decided to throw the kitchen sink at all of us, uh, including Mike Flynn, myself, and others, because of our our dealings with foreign governments. When I was a foreign policy advisor, Mike Flynn was a national security advisor, and Paul Manafort was uh, dealing with uh, foreign governments for his own business. So this just goes to show you to the extent um, of what the FBI under Comey, the Mueller team, went to basically uh, bankrupt Trump associates to get them to plead to these bizarre uh, perjury charges. And that's exactly what ended up happening. Uh, I know they tried to force Jerome Corsi himself to plead guilty to something he didn't do, to Roger Stone now and uh, Michael Flynn. So it's uh, it's an incredible story. And um, it's uh, a lot of it is brand new. And that's uh, what I'm out there doing now, just getting the facts out there for the first time. Now, you can tell the audience what happened to you. What did they charge you with? What what was the result? Yeah. So um, as I explained, I was uh, in London and this uh, person, Joseph Mipson, tells me unsolicited over lunch one day, um, hey, the Russians have Hillary Clinton's emails. This is after he's been basically probing me about my ties to the Middle East. And I look at him. I say, OK, that's interesting. And I did nothing with that information. So when the FBI came to my house in January 2017, about a year after that meeting in London, uh, we're talking about a lot of issues, you know, basically about Russia, interference, Israel, a lot of, you know, these strange topics that I had no idea they would be asking me about. And I was answering questions and they asked me, uh, did a Russian government official ever talk to you about emails or hacked emails or conspiracy? And I said, look, guys, and this is the two FBI agents. I said, guys, I've never met a Russian official in my life. Um, but there was this uh, Maltese guy in London uh, called Joseph Mifsud who told me this strange information about emails and Hillary Clinton. And maybe you should look into him. Now, when I said this information to the two FBI agents, it was as if I told them the sky is blue and two plus two equals four. 
they had no reaction. It's as if they already knew exactly who this person was. So I, so I started to get a little nervous. Then they catch me in a perjury trap. They start to ask me, when did you meet this guy? How often did you meet him? And I misremembered when I met him. And that's what they ended up charging me with is this perjury trap about misremembering the exact time I was meeting with him a year ago. So this was the playbook they used, not only with me, but with Michael Flynn, uh, Roger Stone, Jerome Corsi, where they, they, they know that there's no underlying crime. They know that Trump and his guys were all basically clean and weren't doing anything to undermine the country. But they had to get a win underneath their belts. And by getting a win, it was to basically charge us with these nonsensical process crimes that resulted in me going to jail for 11 days. Uh, Michael Flynn uh, basically bankrupted and uh, people losing their homes. So it's an unfortunate, unfortunate situation, but uh, that's what the charge ended up being. And, uh, you know, hopefully uh, justice now is going to be served as the president uh, really digs into how this investigation really started, because I think that's the new um, question that everyone is asking. If no one in the Trump campaign was dealing with Russians, for example, like me, why was there an investigation launched? And uh, that's something that people in Congress are asking and the president is now asking. And I'm pretty sure a lot of the contents of my book, a Deep State Target, are actually going to be used as a roadmap to actually probably redirect the arrow towards uh, the investigators do you really believe there will be justice in the long run on this case? I think that if uh, President Trump doesn't take the offensive and doesn't uh, – well, first of all, let me – before I get into that, first of all, Devin Nunes himself, Congressman Devin Nunes, I think a couple days ago or possibly even today, uh, openly stated that the, he has sealed indictments waiting to refer to the, to the Department of Justice um, about uh, former Obama administration officials, FBI officials, and DOJ officials – who were involved in this entire fake uh, investigation. So right, so that means justice is going to be served because Congress has indictments that they're ready to refer. And two, the president himself, um, after uh, Sean Hannity uh, had him on, the, on his show, I think four days ago, and Sean Hannity asked him, are you going to pardon Papadopoulos and Flynn? Uh, the president you know, basically deflected from that question but went directly into now it's time to basically start declassifying materials um, that were, in, you know, about surveillance materials on Trump's campaign and his people and get to the bottom of who was involved and at what extent they were involved at the Obama administration and basically setting up the Trump campaign. So I think when all of this material is out there, um, you're probably going to see some indictments. And uh, we already have uh, Devin Nunes stating that there are indictments waiting to be delivered uh, for people to get prosecuted. So uh, it's good news. I don't want any names. Well, what type of people do you think are going to be invited? Uh, indicted? Yes. Um, I, I think that uh, possibly Peter Strzok, Lisa Page, um, you know, uh, Peter Strzok's boss, Bill Pristep. Uh, these are all people, the Bruce Ors of the world. I don't think it's going to get to the level of Comey and obviously Obama and Sally Yates and Loretta Lynch. Um, I, but it's, I, I think it's going to really affect, uh, you know, the McCabe's and, you know, people are already throwing McCabe under the bus, including uh, Rosenstein. I mean, he's, uh, McCabe has become this, uh, persona non grata now where everyone is just saying that he's up to no good and, uh, he should be looked into where he was even, I think, um, referred to the DOJ for prosecution, um, for lying. 
So I think a lot of these people are go- that I just named are going to get caught up in uh, their own perjury traps that were probably set for them by members of Congress. And, uh, you know, revenge, revenge is going to be sweet. But that's, that's my prediction. It could go up much higher than that for all I know. But that's what I expect. I hope so. The name of the book, Deep State Target, How I Got Caught in the Crosshairs of the Plot to Bring Down President Trump. The author, George Papadopoulos, thank you for being on Connor's Corner. Thanks a lot. I enjoyed it. Now, here, if you if you have if you want to track down any of the interviews we've done over the years, Chris Cordani, how do we do that? That's easy to do. You can check out the website with all of the podcasts. That's on AskMikeTheLawyer.com. That's AskMikeTheLawyer.com. You can also catch the podcast on the AM970 The Answer website. Plus, you want to cut to the chase and get to the interviews, go to our YouTube channel, Ask the Lawyer, Connor's Corner Conversations. Yeah, like I told some people, I was surprised a couple of weeks ago, maybe a couple of months ago now, on YouTube. I don't even know I'm on YouTube. And next thing you know, I see a picture of me with Ed Bars talking about Grierson's raid. Two handsome guys. Yeah, well, it's ninety five. If you're alive, if you're alive at ninety five, you're doing good for your age. We but, also have your recent conversations with Gary Gentry, uh, Pete Lamons, Don Maynard, and a lot of the uh, great nineteen sixty nine athletes of New York. It was a lot of fun talking to Don Maynard, Pro Football Hall of Famer. He was cut in his first football job. Persevered, played in Canada for a while. Came back to the at the time it was the New York Titans, not the New York Jets, and then played for the Titans Jets for about fifteen years, including the. Super Bowl. And when he retired, he had more receiving yards than any other receiver in the history of pro football. Do we have that old Titan thing with his face in it? I bet we do. Up in the attic. Oh, I'll have to look. You saved all those books. Okay, well, we might have that. We might have it. All right, but in any event, we have to get going. David Kincaid is is rushing us off. Thank you for listening to Ask the Lawyer. Bye-bye. Bye. We are gathered here on hallowed ground, voices raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this soul away. We are gathered, we are gathered here on hallowed ground, voices raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this soul away. For our Ask the Lawyer friends and listeners, you can attend any of Connors and Sullivan's free seminars on elder law, Medicaid, wills, and estate planning, and more. Yes, it's all free and all close to you. So come to Connors and Sullivan's free seminars. On Wednesday, May 29th at Lenny's Clam Bar, 161-03 Cross Bay Boulevard in Howard Beach, Queens at 11 a.m. and 3 p.m. at Connolly's Corner. 71-17 Grand Avenue in Masspeth, Queens on Thursday, May 30th at 11 a.m., 3 p.m. and 7 p.m. and at the Adria. 221-17 Northern Boulevard in Bayside, Queens on Friday, May 31st at 11 a.m. and 3 p.m. Can't go to any Connors & Sullivan's free seminars? Then call Connors & Sullivan at 718-238-6500 for your own free office appointment. Make an educated decision on your estate and family legal solutions today. Just call Connors & Sullivan at 718-238-6500 or go to connorsandsullivan.com. The preceding pre-recorded program paid for by Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. <laughs> 
explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.